The Last Word with Matt Cooper. The week trending, we are joined today by a Roe McDermott, who was movies editor with Hot Press and does movies with us, but also writes about relationships in the Irish Times. And also we're joined by Dave Hanratty from the No Encore podcast. And let's start with the story that seems to have consumed Britain over the last week. And has had a lot of notice here in Ireland because Philip Schofield would have been very well known from presenting many TV shows that are simultaneously broadcast here in Ireland, including This Morning, which is on Virgin Media. And Dave, just remind us, explain why it is he is no longer a TV presenter in brief. Uh, due to a major scandal of his own making, essentially, he engaged in a relationship with somebody much, much younger who uh, he had gotten a job for on this morning, essentially, and, you know, had been in contact for uh, several years before this as well. It should be said... That, when that person was a teenager. Yeah, but it should be said from a legal standpoint, uh, the relationship that did occur didn't happen until the person in question was 20, as far as I'm aware. That's the latest kind of thing that's been said about it anyway. Um, so so the know, allegation of grooming does not actually stack up? Well, I mean, that's the, there is an internal investigation happening in ITV. I don't know about the police, but it does appear to be... You, you can make an argument, I think. You know, you, you can draw your own conclusions. I'm dancing around very careful legal language here with this one, but it, it doesn't also look good. Say, there was, the person involved has never said it was non-consensual, which I think is when you use the word grooming, there's an assumption there. Yeah, and like, you know, this person has the right to anonymity and at the moment appears to be going with that. And essentially, I mean, like, what was the quote that Schofield came out with earlier in the week? It was uh, unwise, but not illegal, which of course very quickly became a meme all on, all on its own. So uh, not very good. And Schofield has done a new interview in which he feels very sorry for himself. Let's hear a little bit of this on what he regards as the relentless pursuit of the media and a little bit why he's agreed to sit down with Amol Rajan at the BBC. All of those people that write all of that stuff, do they ever think that there's actually a person at the other end? And so, here I am, Mum. Yeah. Are you feeling okay to do this? Are you feeling strong enough to do this interview? Yeah, I have to. Why? Why do you want to do this interview? Because there is an innocent person here who didn't do anything wrong. Uh, Who is vulnerable and probably feels like I do. And I just have to say, stop with him. Uh, okay with me, but stop with him. Leave him alone now. Okay, Ro McDermott, you are a specialist in this area from your work. What do you make of it? I mean, I think the idea of somebody in a huge position of power, and not just in terms of they were working together, but public power, public persona, having a relationship with someone who is much younger, getting them a job on the show that they are working on and continuing on a relationship. I've also read that the person involved wasn't out at the time, so there's an added layer of pressure and secrecy. And of That's course... That's neither was Philip Schofield at the at time, the because time. he was married with children and had not come out as gay until he was about to be revealed for this relationship back in 2020. And so there's an added layer of secrecy and pressure on the young person and vulnerability there if you're not out and then you suddenly have someone who's much older saying neither am I and let's have this kind of, you know, clandestine relationship. And from a professional point of view, just 
working and having that much power over somebody much younger who's working for you and having a relationship is completely unethical and this went away. I will say there are consequent, there are obviously investigations being brought, he's lost his job. I will say uh, there can be consequences to something and we can also acknowledge that the UK media is absolutely hideous and horrendous and they are trying to attack everybody from every different angle. They're doing the beautiful thing that they've done so often is they'll look at, here's a scandal. Heck, we find a way to also blame a woman. So let's blame Holly Willoughby who apparently, according to everybody, had no awareness of this whatsoever. Um, so, and I think this idea of, oh, we're, we're writing these stories because we're so concerned about the young man at the heart of this. But they've also released photos with his face blurred out but are so easily traceable. People are talking about it relentlessly. They've given away so many identifying details and they are making him the front story as well. So I think there's such a hypocrisy of we're so concerned for this young man but we're also going to make him into an absolute tabloid spectacle and bring so much attention onto him and we're going to talk about how vulnerable he is but we're also going to make sure we're always talking about him. And the school field's getting a little bit too much attention in that like we're not talking with Jimmy Savile here. Yeah, God no. But I mean like this does drive clicks and it does sell newspapers and Roe is absolutely correct. The vulturous nature of these tabloids will never stop and they the hypocrisy and the contradictions are there for everyone to see. And like look, I, I think, you know, I have empathy for anyone in a situation where they are being hounded by the press and, you know, their lives are being ruined, etc. But I will say the like even the clip you played, if you tell someone that, that was from a prestige drama, you know, that airs on BBC One at nine o'clock at night, they would believe you because it's so theatrical the way he's speaking. Like that that, that interview with BBC Breakfast, which I watched earlier on, it's ten and a half minutes long, if he spoke normally and didn't have his dramatic pauses and his, you know, look away from the camera stuff that he's doing as a trained professional in front of the camera here, it'd be five minutes long. Uh, like, it felt very... I, I don't doubt for a second that he's spiralling. I don't doubt for a second that he's in a vulnerable state. Uh, obviously, it is a case of, you know, you put yourself there, Philip. There's only a certain amount of sympathy you can give somebody. But I watched that clip and I just thought, this man is performing... He's putting in, you know, a theatrical thing here. Even if there are genuine factors that are troubling him, I just thought that interview was really, really self-serving and quite questionable. I also think there's a huge issue. I mean, there's a broader issue here of people in power and when they are protected because there was talk of there had been an investigation. Apparently he was questioned and the young man was questioned. But people have said, oh, everybody knew or certain people knew or certain people at ITV definitely knew and this was covered up. And then when these stories started leaking about, you know, uh, Holly and Philip had their own different scandal with the skipping the queue at the Queen's funeral and they lost a lot of popularity. And then these rumours of a feud started coming out. And so it was when he started losing social power that these stories started coming out and people started taking it seriously which it is a trend we've seen. probably undermined him enormously didn't it? Absolutely but that's what I mean it's not until people lose their social power that people start addressing these issues and that's the problem of who are we protecting why are we protecting people if they make money yeah, but It can health. often be a matter of luck I mean if you think about what he has done one relationship Look at, say, for example, Boris Johnson, one of the most popular politicians in the UK. Multiple relationships. Can't even tell us how many children he actually has. And he still gets regarded as a hero, as against this particular instance, for example. Why is that? Why does one case get treated differently to another? Well, Boris Johnson is bizarrely Teflon in the sense that so many scandals should have sent him down forever by now, but it just doesn't seem to happen with Philip Schofield's situation. Well, for starters, he's the main character right now in terms of, you know, the social media and tabloid game, and that's just kind of how it goes. And I guess people are just happy to kind of line up with a hot knife for him. Uh, it's, a, it's a tricky one from different points of view as well, because, you know, he's saying in this, I've lost everything. And it's like, well, you're a very wealthy man. You know, you're in good health. You have a life. I don't think he'll never have a broadcasting gig again. It will depend on whether he's willing to, quote unquote, slow 
Hughes might take him. Well, I thought that, but Eamon Holmes is there, and they have God, their... he's making a real show They have their blood feuds going on. So, like, uh, you got to figure he'll be in someone's ear being like, don't hire this guy. I don't think his life and career is over, and, like, I wouldn't wish the worst on him. Like, like, like it's a human being at the end of the day, fair enough, but I just think ultimately it's been handled by him quite poorly, and he's putting himself back in the spotlight in a way that I don't necessarily agree with. I will say, and again, I think actions have consequences, and I would welcome, of course, the investigation, because I think it's, it's who was aware of this, and who was looking out for the young man, I think is the huge question. But I do think, you know, it's a very... It's a very easy thing to say, like, his life isn't over. But at the moment, when all of this happened over two weeks and he's still expected to do public interviews and his reputation has been ruined and his, you know, job is gone and God knows what his family is going through. I feel so sorry for his mother, honestly, because of the scandal with his brother as well. Um, But I think to criticise how he's handling this, like, it's someone in the midst of an absolute breakdown, really. And so I think there have just been a lot of snide comments and uh, around his mental health. And I just... I don't believe in the death penalty. I like I genuinely don't. And I think when people are openly saying on camera I'm having suicidal thoughts and people are still piling on I think that's a bit revolting and again that doesn't mean that there can't be investigations and doesn't mean that it can't be consequences but I do think it's just kind of cultural uh, just, a, just a nasty nasty side of it that we're turning it into entertainment. Alright let's move on to other things and let's talk about a couple of international lifestyle issues which you never know might actually end up here one from New Zealand, one from Canada let's start with the one from New Zealand Row where passengers are going to be asked to step on the weighing scales before they board aircraft. Yeah, they are. I will say the headlines are taking this slightly out of context because I saw this and immediately had a panic attack and I, it would be my idea of a nightmare. I think there are huge issues and people were responding to this because there was an airline from Samoa that wanted to charge people based on weight. So this isn't unprecedented, the idea of weighing people before they got on a scale. No, I suppose it's fair to say that if you look at the Samoan rugby team, they have a lot of big, bold people. <laughs> um, but this is there were rumours flying around of oh they have to know but it's actually a survey that's taking place and it's basically data gathering because they want to know the average amount of weight and as people's bodies change over time because of our diets etc they're trying to get so it is a voluntary survey survey. they're trying to get 10,000 people but I think the fear that they stoked is that this might become the norm and I think that would be absolutely horrific I think for fat people who are travelling airline travelling on airlines is already such a fraud issue and there are so many people like Lindy West and Roxanne Gay who have written about this in terms of the seats being tiny in the in terms of the shame that they are made to feel by staff by other passengers that they've had to pay for more seats and as the airlines want to cut costs and make seats smaller I think travelling while fat is a huge issue and so this would add another layer of kind of fat phobia and just paranoia around it I also think for people with disordered eating the idea of getting weighed in front of a lot of people would cause a huge amount of stress and eating disorders are on the rise in our society they also have the highest mortality rate amongst any mental health disorder so I'm glad that this isn't the norm and it is just a survey but it is concerning to think that it might become normalised. And then Dave what about Canada where they're going to have warnings on individual cigarettes yeah which involves printing like actual text on the cigarette on the cigarette paper so like you know like cigarettes cause cancer being one of them I'm looking, I'm looking at this here now cigarettes damage your organs and this is kind of positioned at the top of the cigarette so so theoretically that would burn away as you as you smoke the cigarette but like 
Um, sure. I mean, like, of course, you know, health warning for cigarettes, good thing. But also, I saw this image and I couldn't help but be like, that looks like a, an album cover by the 1975 or something. Like, I think people will actually think that this is cool. I, I think people will take, like, photographs. Which one did you get to burn as you smoked it? Yeah, like, like I can absolutely see people, like, turning this into some kind of, you know, Instagram thing or something. Because it's just like, like it's. I, I don't want to say, like, it's quote unquote cool, but it's like it's, it's aesthetically, like, am, am I wrong, Rob? You're just outing yourself as not being a Taylor Swift fan if you <laughs> 1975 are a good touch point right now that's all I'll say I think it's look I think the fact that we normalize tobacco while we criminalize other drugs when we know how addictive it is we know the health ramifications of it we know the cost it is to treat people for these you know the illnesses that are uh, so common and lung cancer from tobacco is terrifying I think introducing a little bit of friction in the decision making of just saying with each cigarette I have to be reminded of it I think that's a good thing the listener here says we used to be weighed every time we flew to the Aran Islands from Galway. Don't know if they still do it. It was mortifying. The tiny little propeller planes. That's my idea of hell. All of it. <laughs> okay. Right. Uh, we need to take a break. And I want to talk about the new census figures because there's some extraordinary figures about uh, the population born outside the Republic now living here. Where they all come from, which I want to talk about when we come back. Ro McDermott and Dave Hanratty are with, Hanratty are with us for the week trending. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. So, it's Ro McDermott and Dave Hanratty with us for the week trending. The census figures, census taken in April last year, came out during the week. And what was extraordinary was the amount of people born outside of Ireland who now reside in Ireland. It's more than 20% of all the people who live here. And we're at the highest ever population since the state was created. And I'm fascinated by lots of the places that these people are from. And who knew, for example, that we have over 56,000 people born in India living now in Ireland? India, Romania and Brazil are the the countries with the biggest number of people who are coming to live here. And now we have 630,000 non-Irish citizens, which is just a huge jump. And it's interesting even to see the trends of what nationalities are coming here because, of course, during the Celtic Tiger, there are so many Polish people who came over and Polish people have gone down 23%. Um, and oh, oh, no, they've bounced back up. There's 106,000 Polish people living here now. But it's down, isn't it, from no, no, the last time it, the census? It's up was... from 2002, the last Oh, census. maybe I was looking at the one before. I was looking at Celtic Tiger era. Yeah. Um, but it's just interesting to see those trends of what's, you know, in terms of the businesses that are luring people over, in terms of what we're offering people uh, and where they're coming from. And there's, there's so many British people as well, Dave, living here. I mean, this is one of the interesting... Back in 1926, after our independence a few years later, there were nearly 50,000 people born in Great Britain who lived in Ireland. And that number sort of crept up 20 years, sort of 1961. And at the turn of the century, we had 193,000 British-born people we're now at 227,000, which is an extraordinarily large number. Yeah, if you think about this as like a league table and the way that's been presented, you know, the population born outside the Republic of Ireland in the census, like over time, Great Britain has been in number one position every single time. But as you say, the numbers have skyrocketed in recent years. Um, it, it's it's interesting just to kind of see that hold, especially with, you know, the kind of, I guess, the ongoing conversation we have about Ireland and Britain and, you know, do we get along or not? Uh, this would suggest that we do to, by quite some degree, wouldn't it? It would indeed. I wonder then how many people know people who've come from various countries, because I was looking through it, and yes, I know people from Lithuania, America, Latvia, Spain, 
um, Moldova, I know people are from, but then there's people coming from Pakistan. Who'd have thought there were nearly 15,000 French people, 15,000 German people living here? Uh, it's good though, isn't it? Because, like, I mean, Ireland is a multicultural place. And, like, you know, I'm thinking about when I grew up and, like, I didn't have as much access to people who weren't just me, essentially. Mm-hmm. But I, I look at, like, my, my niece and my nephews now and the kids they're playing with. And you're like, oh, cool. I mean, like, it's not just, like, like that, it's a reflection of a changing Ireland. And, like, that's just the way it is. Like, this is data, it's information. And, you know, you hope it's not a dog whistle for, you know, some people who would disagree with this but kind of thing. there are one or two who have texted and who don't like it. Well, I mean, like, what, what's the problem? Like, 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 we're supposed to be like a locked off country? I, I, I don't understand. And again, I mean, this comes up every time we talk about racism in Ireland, but the irony of Irish people who have always emigrated, and particularly the census, a big headline, of course, was that we've hit five million, and that's the first time since the famine that we've gone over that number. And if we think about the famine and the amount of people who emigrated so when we were vulnerable, when we were looking for somewhere, and then the amount of people who still go to Australia, who still go to America, America and they're doing fine, but they just want something different. And then we're going to criticize people for doing the same here. It's just ridiculous. Suggesting that there's some hypocrisy when it comes to to racists. (laughs) (laughs) Shocking. Um, But I also think it's interesting the knock on effects of that and knock on effects of just change in Irish society generally because the amount of people who describe themselves as Roman Catholic is down from 79% to 69%. And even there have been priests talking during the week saying that they think that's actually an incredibly high estimation and that maybe people aren't practicing scene but they still feel that they can identify that or and the number of non-religious people has gone up to 14% which is the highest it's ever been and again saying that some people mightn't want to take non-religious even if they don't practice anything because it you know they're spiritual in their own way but I think that has knock-on effects as well because in terms of schools in in terms of being an employee in terms of judges and being in court and taking oaths there's still a huge amount of focus on being religious and specifically being Catholic and so there are calls now for um, that to be recognised and for the rights of non-religious people to be respected as well. Well, the issue in the primary schools and the patronage is one that we have discussed on this programme in recent days. Dave, you're mad into your music. Tell Mm -hmm. us about the Kendrick Lamar video shot at, of all places, St. Stephen's Green Shopping Centre. This threw everybody for a loop this week, myself very much included. Yeah, so Kendrick Lamar was over here in November, I think it was, uh, alongside Baby Keem, who is his cousin, another musician, uh, who I believe was playing support to him on the two nights he played in Three Arena. Now, I didn't get to that show, unfortunately. I did see him in Three Arena last time. One of the best gigs I've ever seen. So during the week, uh, they put out a single called The Hillbillies, which has got this kind of weird, kind of on-the-ground video uh, filmed on what appears to be a video camera from 1994. It doesn't look incredibly good. It's very grainy. But there is footage of them in St. Stephen's Green Shopping Centre. And you it's the, the, you know it's, it's straight away because you're like, there's the famous stairs, there's the clock, there's whatever. But like, there's Christmas decorations up. So like, like we have done our detective work. We have tracked it down. It did obviously take place then. But I'm just like, how did nobody see this? Because we live in a time where if anything happens with a celebrity in Dublin, it's on Twitter straight away. I saw such and such down here. Nobody put up a, a photo of this. Nobody seemed to know what happened. They did it on the fly. Uh, I have to admire the invention. The song is okay. The video is naff, but it is nice to see. Isn't it nice to see Stephen's Green in a Kendrick Lamar video? I just want to point out that if we're talking about Christmas decorations in Stephen's Green Shopping Centre, that could have taken any place from July yeah, to fair, December. That is not narrowing <laughs> down the timescale at all. It could be one of the last times it'll be possible as a planning application in to largely demolish and rebuild that shopping centre to turn it into offices on the top floors. So the, I think the, the roof and the clock go. 
I think what's so funny is that I just, you know, I grew up going to Stephen's Green Shopping Centre and that was the cool place to go. But I think it is such a waste of real estate. And it reminds me of O'Connell Street, that it's so central and should be such a hub. And it's just been so neglected. And just, I don't know anyone who's really excited to go there anymore. But there has been this really interesting rise of influencers, particularly on Instagram, going up and getting a photo with the clocks and the background and the architecture and making it seem like a really cool spot. And so for people who live in Dublin who are quite down on it, then you see all these influencers thinking, it's a must-see in Dublin. I was like, really? Something else we discussed in yesterday's programme was uh, paying cash in your taxis and what would happen in a situation where the driver refused to actually allow you to play by card. I wonder was that which led to the incident in Northern Ireland, Dave, which is under investigation by the PSNI and has led to a taxi driver being suspended for pulling a gun on this passenger. I mean, if that happens to you, I, what, how else would you react? I mean, like, like it's, it's a fantastical situation, uh, a shocking one, and I, again, you know, I find myself dancing around the legal, the legal language of this one because it's not an everyday occurrence you would hope, and yet here we are. Yeah. Uh, I will say I was stranded without my card in Dublin a few days ago and it was so difficult on so many levels. I went into two cafes, could not buy a cup of tea because I didn't have a card. Um, I they went wouldn't to, take cash, no? They wouldn't take cash. I went to a parking meter. It wouldn't take cash. I had to get a very nice person to get my parking ticket for me. Then my parking ticket flipped upside down in my car and I got clamped and I couldn't pay the clampers either. It was a nightmare. And I think, you know, for me, it's an inconvenient day. But when you think of people who are paid in cash, when you think of homeless people in particular, this move to not accepting cash. Some taxi drivers only want to accept cash. Yeah. But I think <laughs> but I think the move against it is so damaging. I just really think, particularly during COVID, I was thinking of all the poor homeless people who are living in town. If they can't get a cup of tea in a cafe because they don't have a card, I just think it's awful. They also weren't getting as much money from people generously Absolutely. in the street because they don't actually Completely. have so much cash in their pockets. And uh, what's this about an auction of Hitler's pencil and a signed photograph. These things are always uh, dodgy to some degree. Now, like, there's obviously a place in the world for memorabilia from wartime, etc. But I tell you, I won't be purchasing a silver-plated pencil that uh, is purported to have once belonged to Adolf Hitler. Uh, it's going to go into the hammer for between uh, 50,000 and 80,000 pounds sterling, believed to be a gift from Hitler to Eva Braun. Uh, from, sorry, from Eva Braun to him. And there's also a signed photograph as well, which looks like he's auditioning for a film. I mean, this is one of those ones where I'm like, I, I don't want to joke about it too much. It's, it's Hitler. You can't, like, like uh, how do you joke about this and, and find the kind of, you know, the, the wry angle? Um, if, it's, if it's for a private collection, questionable. If it's for a public museum, fair enough, I suppose. If you want to preserve history, but... It's not. The, the owner of the auction house has spoken out and he knows who the individual is and he says he's a collector of military items. But I think it's so important to note, there is a rise of fascism happening worldwide. There is a rise and anti-Semitism happening worldwide and I think to take something like this and to turn it for profit is so despicable. There are laws in Germany, Austria and France that make it illegal to sell Nazi memorabilia. Um, I think Fianna Fáil Senator Lorraine Clifford Lee wants to introduce a bill to make that the case here I think which, which would be very welcome but I think Holocaust survivors have spoken out about it and said if you want to do something with this if you respect it as a piece of his historical fact or a historical artefact give it to a museum but the 
idea that an auction house and an individual are profiting off this. And I will say this particular auction house in 2019, there was a dinner set that had also been gifted to Hitler and that was put up for auction and it was actually withdrawn. So I find it just so depressing that they made an ethical stance on this a few years ago and then have just turned it's on a dime. referred to as a love token as well. Like, like the glamorization of it is like in the, in the actual copy for the auction is, is very, very dodgy as well. Yeah. A uh, listener here says, I drive a taxi. We should all be allowed to carry guns. Uh, I have received uh, a text from a friend of mine from the north who has given me an explanation as to what happened in that taxi up in the north. For legal reasons, I will not be reading it out. Uh, another one says, in relation to the amount of British people who are living in Ireland, a lot of UK-born people of Irish roots, I would think, parents or grandparents, any I know have Irish parents. Another one, Paul in Sligo, says, I was born in England to an Irish couple who emigrated and returned to Ireland with a family, born in England but consider myself Irish, or who may be married. I have a brother-in-law in that situation who's been living here a number of years uh, with uh, my wife's sister. And uh, that's all that we have time for here on The Last Word, the uh, week trending. Dave Hanratty and Ro McDermott, thank you both very much for being with us. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today.